It is great to see so many of you here on our campus. I wanna welcome everybody joining us online as well. And um, and this has been a powerful teaching series, looking at some bold prayers prayed by some very specific people facing some very specific circumstances. And we see how God answered those prayers and uh, what we can learn from them as well. So I want us to jump right in because we do have a lot to cover today. We are looking at the bold prayer of Hannah found in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. And in many ways, if not for this prayer, we probably wouldn't know who Hannah was. So I got a long passage I'm going to read here. It'll kind of tell us the story and uh, tell us the significance of the prayer. And then we're going to jump in and we're going to see how that applies to our life today. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 7. The passage says, this went on year after year. Now, what went on year after year? A little bit of drama at home, okay? So let me tell you how this drama went down. Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah. Now, he's a real loser. We'll meet him in just a second, all right? (laughs) But what makes it worse is that she was one of his two wives. Now, if you're counting, that's one too many, all right? So that's how that works. So what's happening is the other wife is having all the babies. And Hannah wants to have a baby, and she's not having a baby. And not only is the other wife having the babies, she's ridiculing, and she's picking on, and she's bullying Hannah. That's what's going on year after year. You thought you had drama at your house, right? That's what's happening here, okay? So whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, other wife, provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now her husband, Elkanah, look how he handled the situation. He would say to her, Hannah, Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Husbands, just let me tell you something straight up, all right? (laughs) If your wife is down, drawing her attention to you is not the solution. I just wanna make sure you know that. Loser. Verse nine. (laughs) Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, And Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. So this is now happening at church. They're in the Lord's house when this is happening. So in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, and here's her bold prayer. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah prays this bold prayer in the midst of her misery. Some of you right now are walking through some misery. What I want you to see is that God will meet you there when you cry out to him. So this is what Hannah says. Hey, if you'll give me a baby, I will give him back to you. Now look what happens in verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, he's the priest, he observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. The men are 0 for 2 in this passage, right? (laughs) So he says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Have you ever had a preacher tell you in church to put away your wine? That's what's happening to her. At her point of misery, it's only being made Worse, look at what she says, verse 15. Not so, my Lord, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And God answers her prayer. 
God answers her prayer. She gives birth to Samuel. And about the age of two, three years old, she's faithful to do what she told God she would do. She literally brings him back to Eli and leaves him in the care of Eli to be raised and to be trained as a priest. And Samuel grows up and he's trained to be a priest. But I love that scripture gives us this little detail of how Hannah got to stay involved in his life, even though he was being raised at the temple. So let's skip ahead to chapter two of verse Samuel, of first. Samuel and look at verse 18. So Samuel is now ministering before the Lord. He's a young boy. He's wearing a linen ephod. And each year, his mother made him a little robe and she took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. I love that. Every year, she just made him a robe. She'd take it to him. I love scripture gives us this detail. They would catch up on everything that had happened that year. And then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so God was faithful to Hannah. She had five more children. And when she prayed that day, this bold prayer and asked God to bless her with a son, she had no idea what God was going to do. See, Samuel is a pretty unique character in God's word. He's the last of the judges. He's trained to become a priest. And yet he also serves as a prophet. This is the same Samuel who would anoint David one day to be king. This is the same Samuel that penned multiple books in the Old Testament. And if not for Hannah's bold prayer, where would we be? And what I wanna do is I wanna spend the rest of our time taking this example we see from Hannah as a mother and letting it challenge us as parents and grandparents. And so specifically today, what we're gonna look at are seven bold prayers that I'm going to challenge you to pray for your children. I'm gonna challenge you to pray these for your grandchildren. Now look, if you don't have children or grandchildren, I have great news. Our church is full of children. So you can pray these bold prayers for them. And these seven bold prayers aren't necessarily taken sequentially from scripture. These are just seven bold prayers that really organically, as my parents raised me, we would pray these prayers together. And as Morgan and I have been raising our three boys, we're praying these prayers with our boys. And, and I'm gonna challenge you to write them down because these are important. And, and, and you can pray through them sequentially as your children get older. You can pray through them simultaneously. Your kids can be any age and you can begin to pray these prayers. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the prayer. We're gonna see some scripture that gives us guidance. And then I'm gonna give you a corresponding celebration. Because a lot of times what we do as the people of God is uh, we pray, we ask God to do some things. He actually does. And we just kind of move on and don't stop to intentionally celebrate. We'll celebrate when our favorite team scores a touchdown. But we don't often celebrate when God comes through. So I'm gonna give you a celebration as well. But before I get to those, okay, it's kind of a special day. So uh, last Sunday, I shared, if you were here with us, I shared a story about how on October 1st, 2008, my dad almost passed away. And uh, by God's grace, God healed him. And then here we are a week later, it's actually October 1st. Um, I'm about to share a bunch of things that have been shaped over the years by my parents. And as God would have it in his sovereign way, they're actually here today. And I would love for us to honor them publicly. So can we do that? Y'all are my cheat code. Y'all know that, right? So uh, as a parent, I have a cheat code called y'all. Now, you may not have been raised with awesome parents like I have, so let me give you some good news. God gave you the church. 
a lot of things we're gonna talk about today, you're gonna be like, I wanna do that for my kids and my grandkids. I never had anybody model that for me. Good news, somebody in this church can model that for you. And part of what we do as a family of God is we help one another out. We model these things for each other. But let's get going, because we got seven of them. And I am gonna keep you a little longer, okay? You ain't gonna know where to be. It's gonna be fine, all right? We'll be out by two, three o'clock. It'll be good, all right? It might just be that kind of church today. <laughs> Here we go, let me be the first one. First bold prayer to pray. A prayer of gratitude at my child's conception. A prayer of gratitude. You pray for a baby. Ask God to give you a baby. And, and he does that. You find out you're pregnant. Sometimes you've been praying for it. Sometimes God surprises you. But see, from God's perspective, there's never been an unplanned pregnancy. They're all created with purpose. And when you find out that you're pregnant, you celebrate. So let's talk for a second. It's not been part of our story, my wife Morgan and I, but for a lot of couples, a miscarriage is a part of your story. And it's incredibly painful. What are you supposed to do with that? I believe from God's word, I'll give you one verse here in a second. I could take you to a number of passages, but I believe that God's word teaches clearly that if, if you have a miscarriage, that that child goes immediately to be with Jesus and is in heaven. And that one day when you get to heaven, you're going to get to know that child. So that is part of my parents' story. They shared this with me when I was about 10 or 12 years old. They'd had a miscarriage before I was born. And um, I kind of had always wanted to have an older brother or sister. I'm the oldest of three. And so I'm kind of fired up that one day when I get to heaven, I'm gonna get to meet my older brother or sister. So if that's your story, I want you to hang on to a little bit of hope that goes along with that. And let me give you just one verse that kind of gives us some biblical backing for that. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Other passages say God knew you before the foundations of the world. And so if you are praying to get pregnant and God answers that prayer, you celebrate. If you're praying to get pregnant and God has not answered that prayer, we would be honored to pray for you, pray over you, either at the end of our services or at another time, that, that we'll pray that God will answer your prayer the same way he answered Hannah's prayer. And God was faithful to my wife and I to answer our prayers when we ask God to bless us with children. And so Sam, our oldest, is two years older than Jacob. And then there's four years between Jacob and Henry. That wasn't what we would have desired. We wanted to have them a little closer together. Together, but for whatever reason, um, God just wasn't answering that prayer. And so we actually got to a point, I mean, we're three years in, four years in, that we stopped praying, N not out of defiance towards God, but really out of just simply acknowledging, God, we're grateful, we have two boys, and if that's how our family's gonna be, we're, we're gonna rejoice in that. And we really did stop praying and asking God to give us a third child. The challenge with that is that Sam, who at the time was pretty young, he kept praying. He kept asking God every night to put a baby in mommy's tummy. And I didn't have the nerve to tell him to stop, all right? So, <laughs> so when we found out we were pregnant, it was pretty awesome to get to celebrate that. And so that is the celebration that I wanna challenge you with. When you find out that you're pregnant, celebrate it. Be public about it, announce it, don't be quiet. I mean, I love it today when people do like the gender reveal. You know, they're shooting confetti and powder and cannons, everything else, right, to let us know. I think that kind of stuff's fantastic. And the world we live in, celebrate some things. And so when we found out that we were pregnant with a third child, we wanted to celebrate. So we didn't shoot, you know, cannons or anything, but I remember when we posted this picture and kind of the celebration that ensued. So here's how we did that. So there's Sam and Jacob. 
And Sam holding a little picture of what would eventually become his baby brother, Henry. And we just celebrated Henry's eighth birthday last week. And so there's a couple of takeaways from this. One, I want you to celebrate. Two, if you have a prayer request, I want you to share it with Sam, all right? I just wanna make sure you know that, all right? <laughs> Apparently, he's got a direct line of communication with God, so that's how that works. So you, you pray these prayers, and then when God answers the prayer, you celebrate. Let me give you the second bold prayer I wanna challenge you to pray. It's a prayer of dedication of my child to the Lord. So once the child is born, you want to dedicate the child back to the Lord. You wanna give the child back to God. You wanna publicly declare this child does not belong to us. See, parent, God created the child and he's given you the responsibility to be the parent. Parenting is not about ownership. Parenting is about stewardship. And Hannah models us models this for us well. Look at what the passage says. Verse 27, Hannah says, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life who will be given over to the Lord. So she literally gave him back to the Lord. And so it's a different way of looking at it, but the application holds up for us as well, that at some point early in the child's life, I would encourage you to do this, that you dedicate the child to God. And we do this as a church family. So let me tell you when our next child dedication is gonna be. And this is the obvious celebration for this particular prayer on Sunday, November 19th. We do these two, three times a year. And if you've never dedicated your child to God, I wanna encourage you to do this. Now I said young, I mean, I've dedicated children seven, nine, 10, 12 years old. It doesn't matter the age, but the point is, it's really more of a parent dedication. So if you choose to do this on the 19th, we'll bring you up here with some other families. We'll put cute pictures of your kids up there. And I will challenge you to raise your child in a way where hopefully one day that child makes the decision to accept Jesus Christ as his or her personal Lord and Savior. So a child dedication is not about the child's salvation, okay? It's a day in preparation of the child's salvation with your church family, it's a public acknowledgement that as parents, we can't do this alone, we need one another. So I'll encourage the church family to pray for your child as well, and then we'll give you a few things. We'll give you a Bible for the child, for you to read with them, and then we will mail you later that week a certificate. We'll mail you a letter written from me to you, kind of commemorating the day, and then my favorite thing is we're gonna mail you a letter. It's gonna be in a sealed envelope, and it's gonna be addressed to your child, and it's from me and it's for them to open up on the day they ask Jesus to come into their heart. And I want them to see on that day that there was a church family that had been praying about that day for years. That they're literally stepping into a community of faith. So it's a significant thing of celebration. And if you've never done it before, there's a QR code you can scan. It'll take you directly where you can receive a little more information. I know it's a little ways off, but um, I would encourage you to go ahead and do that. If that's something that you're even interested in because some family members are gonna wanna travel in and you need to go ahead and get that locked in on the calendar. So again, QR code on the screen, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. But if you've never dedicated your child Praying that prayer and then following through with that public dedication with your church family is an awesome thing to do. Let me give you the third bold prayer, a prayer of expectancy. It's a prayer of expectancy for the salvation of your child. You pray that your child gets to a place in his or her life where they recognize their need for a savior, where they recognize that mommy and daddy's faith is not enough 
they've gotta choose to make it their own faith, okay? So let's look at some biblical guidance here that tells us why this matters so much. Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including your cute kids. They were born with something called a sin nature, okay? If you wanna go upstairs in our kids' ministry right now, please don't, that'd be weird, but if you were to do that, what you would see is that the little kids are not being taught how to say the word mine. They have to be taught how to share. If you don't believe in a sin nature, we'll sign you up to work with the toddlers. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? <laughs> Teach you great theology, that's how that'll work, okay? They're all sinners. And the sooner your children, my children, your grandchildren, recognize that their cute sin put Jesus on a cross, the better. They need to feel the weight of that. They need to recognize that they are hopeless without a savior. But see, this passage continues. I'm really, I'm really happy there's a comma there. Because see, if it said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, period, we'd all be in trouble. But there's a comma. It keeps going. It gives us the gospel. It says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You need to teach your kids this. Presented, God presented, verse 25, Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. And here's the key phrase, to be received by faith. See, it's not just your kids. You have to get to a place in your life where you recognize you're a sinner in need of a savior. And then you have to choose to receive the good news of the gospel message, salvation by faith, not by works, not by church attendance, not by doing enough good things. This is true for you as well, but helping your kids and your grandkids see this is significant. And they get to a place in their life where they recognize their need for a savior and they recognize that Christianity is not a birthright. Salvation is not handed down from one generation to the next. Everybody has to get to a place in their life where they recognize this. And you pray for that day with expectancy. And then when your child or your grandchild asks Jesus to come into their life, that's the most significant decision they will ever make. And you throw a big celebration. And we get to throw a big celebration. And the way we celebrate salvation is through baptism. So specifically, what I'm gonna draw your attention to for your kids is a class that's happening on Sunday, October 22nd called our dive in class for kids and parents. Kids are super interested in baptism and communion because they're tangible. They can see it. Baptism is for believers. Baptism is a step that anybody, a child or an adult, takes after they've received Jesus Christ as their savior. Communion is also for believers. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, according to scripture, you need to hold off on taking communion. So these are two elements that we have at our disposal to teach our kids. So what do you do? I want you to sign up for this class, October 22nd. Again, QR code on the screen, seat back in front of you. If you have a child that's been asking a lot of questions about baptism or communion, this would be a great thing to bring them to. If you have a child that you know has come to a place where you led them to the Lord, they asked Jesus to come into their life, we're gonna ask you to attend this class with them before we baptize them. They say, I can't be there on the 22nd. We've already got something planned. We're gonna be out of town, but I know my kid's ready to get baptized. I heard earlier there's one in November. What do we do? Let us know. We'll meet with you individually. We're not trying to be legalistic about attending a class. We just want to make sure that your child knows what they're doing and it's not your decision for them. Okay. We don't need another generation of kids 
that in teenage years or in their 20s realize, hey, I got baptized when I was a kid because a bunch of adults coerced me into it. No. We want them going into the waters of the baptistry with confidence that they know they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But as the parents, if you're a grandparent, you can pray that prayer at any time and then celebrate. Number four, fourth bold prayer, a prayer of challenge. I like it, challenge for biblical manhood or biblical womanhood for my child. Parents, grandparents, we've gotta pray these prayers and then we've gotta start having these conversations. You've gotta teach your kids what it means to be a man of God. You've gotta teach your kids what it means to be a woman of God. And church, we have got to lead the way in this because our world is telling our children all kinds of mixed up messages, okay? I believe that when God creates a child knit together in that child's mother's womb, that God determines whether or not that child is going to be a boy or a girl. That's God's call, okay? But we now live in a world that says, no, 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 no. Kids can make that decision. And adults are exploiting vulnerable children with their agenda. If the church doesn't stand up, who will? If we don't lead the way, who will? And at some point, church, we have to recognize we can stand in the truth of God's word and still love people. We still love people. We're not gonna be mean-spirited, but we're also not gonna let the world corrupt our children's minds. We pray these prayers and then we guide them. This is what it looks like to be a man of God. This is what it looks like to be a woman of God. Now I'm gonna take you to a passage of scripture you probably won't applaud for, okay? Because it's super challenging. And it's not just for kids, it's for adults as well. And somewhere along the way, church, we, not New Hope, but we collectively as a church, we've just kind of lost our focus when it comes to purity, if I could just be so bold. It's almost like we've just conceded that one. It's almost like enough people had bad experiences with legalistic preachers growing up that they've just decided that that really must not be a big deal to God or that just must be in the Old Testament. I'm gonna read you a passage from the New Testament that's super challenging and it helps us see the value of purity. First Thessalonians, look at this, chapter four. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And for a lot of Christians, there's no difference in their life than pagans who do not know God. And God's word is speaking to this. And that in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Here's what that's saying. You got a problem with that passage, your problem ain't with me. You're not rejecting a human being, you're rejecting God. And we have got to teach our children and pray these prayers over our children. So let me give this celebration in a very tangible way that you can go about doing this. It's a commitment to purity that you lead your child through, and I'm suggesting the ages of 10 to 12. If you're gonna err, err on the side of doing this too soon. Better to do it at the age of eight than the age of 14. And here's the thing, I'm just gonna, we're being real today, I hope that's okay with you, okay? 
for some of you, that's not your story and that's keeping you from challenging your kid. You do realize you're covered by God's grace. You do realize God's word is true whether you obeyed it or not, okay? Don't let that get in the way. That's called the enemy trying to keep you. In fact, share some of the things from your life you didn't do well in hopes that your kids won't make the same mistakes. I remember my dad told me this years ago. He said, Adam, he said, smart people learn from their mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. Some of y'all are great template for wisdom. Do you know what I mean, right? So share it, share it. But, but you set them down and you just lay it out. Hey, here's how God created you. Here's what matters to God. Here's some things along the way that you're gonna run into. Here's what you're gonna see a lot of your peers start to do, but you're different and here's why. And you just walk them through it and you explain every scenario. And it's not a one-time conversation, but you're laying a foundation that creates a culture at home where your kids feel the freedom to talk to you instead of their friends about stuff, okay? That's what you're trying to do. And you talk about everything. I mean, it's kind of weird because they're in here, so I apologize in advance. Being a preacher's kid, honestly, is kind of a burden, all right? <laughs> so y'all cut me some slack. But when I talk to my boys about these things, here's what I'm trying to help them recognize. In this world where sex gets exploited for everything, from selling beers to tires to everything in between, okay? God's actually the one that created sex. This was his idea. And God's desire for your children and your grandchildren is that they have the most amazing sex lives possible. Start the conversation that way. That'll get their attention, okay? <laughs> like, what? And then help them understand that is by doing things God's way until they get married to a godly spouse who loves Jesus, owns a Bible, and reads it, and then they can have sex to the glory of God. That's, what, that's how it works, okay? Some of y'all ready to worship, I can see it, right? That's how it works. But we've gotta be the ones that have that conversation and not let the world lead the way. This is what it looks like to be a parent and a grandparent. So you pray the prayer and then you follow up with the celebration, the commitment, and then you walk with them, you guide them, you lead them through this significant season of their life. Fifth bold prayer, a prayer of confirming the calling placed on my child's life. This one's my favorite. It's my favorite prayer to pray. Confirming the calling that's been placed on their life. I want you to pray over your kids, grandkids, and I want you to verbally tell them God's placed a calling on your life. He's placed a calling on your life. The most important thing in your kid's life is not, I know this is gonna blow some of y'all's mind, it's not their report card. It's not how they're doing at school. It's not whether or not they made that team. It's not whether or not they get to go to the college they wanna to go to. It's not about the career that they eventually will have. It's not about where they ultimately will live. The most important thing in your child's life is that they recognize there's a calling that's been placed on their life, okay? That's the most important thing. Let me give you a passage of scripture. I'm gonna encourage you, challenge you to memorize this passage of scripture. You can do it. You can do it. Memorize it and then pray it over your children and your grandchildren constantly. Look at this. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy, here it is, of his calling 
and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. What an amazing prayer. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? The calling that's been placed on their life is that they would bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what their career is. It doesn't matter whether they live 30 minutes to your house. It doesn't matter if they show up in your doorstep every year for Thanksgiving. None of those things matter. I know, shocking. What matters is whether or not they bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That is what matters. It's a calling. And somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them. There's a calling that's been placed on your life. And everything about your life exists to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Let me give you a very tangible way to celebrate and do this. By commissioning your child. Commissioning your child. I suggest you do this sometime in the middle school or the high school years. Where you do a significant event where they remember that they were commissioned because there was a calling that was placed on their life. My parents did this for me when I was 17 years old. I think y'all are just kind of making it up as we went. And they took me to a restaurant. It was the nicest restaurant I'd ever been to. And my brother and sister weren't there. It was just the three of us. And I thought that was kind of fun. We ate at this great restaurant. I didn't know what we were about to do. But when we finished eating, we went back to the church that we were members at, church I grew up at, church I got saved and baptized in and nobody else was there. And we came down to the altar and we prayed together and they told me there's a calling God's placed on your life. And I believed them. I was like, okay. They didn't mention being a pastor. They didn't mention any particular career. They didn't tell me where they wanted me to live. They just said, there's a calling that's been placed on your life. And they prayed this prayer over me. And they said, because there's a calling that's been placed on your life, that means you're different. And that means you have a lot to lose. That if you follow the ways of the world, that if you follow the crowd over the next five to 10 years, you're gonna have lots of opportunities to do a lot of different things. And you're gonna see a lot of people do a lot of those different things. And if you choose to do those things, you could actually lose a lot of what God has in store for you. And church, I've got to tell you that there were many times over the next three to five years while I was watching a lot of things happen that were super tempting and looked super fun. And I really wanted to participate, to be accepted and liked just like anybody else would want to be, that God would take me back to that night. And it was significant. And it was tangible. And I could remember it. And I didn't always get it right. By no means was I perfect, and you know, obviously. But it reminded me that there was a calling that had been placed on my life. And I want to encourage you to do that. You can do that at any age. We'll come alongside and help. These are things that at some point over the next six to 12 months, we'll, we'll put a date on the calendar and say, hey, if you've got a middle school, or high school student and you want to do something together with some other brothers and sisters in Christ, where we help them understand the calling and then we commission them. Like we'll do these things together in community. Again, because some of us say, man, I'd love to do that, but I could use a little guidance. So many times as preachers, what we do is we say, y'all go do this and then we don't come alongside and help you. We're not gonna do that. We wanna come alongside and help you. But this can be significant for your child to recognize the calling that God's placed on their life. Let me give you the sixth bold prayer to pray. A prayer of faith for the spouse of my child. You pray every day for your children's future spouses. 
Some days when um, parenting can be hard, I'll think about Sam, Jacob, and Henry, their future spouses, and I wonder if their future spouses' parents are also having a hard day. And so I'll pray for them too. I'll pray for their future spouses. I'll pray for their future in-laws. And one day we're gonna sit around and share a lot of stories and it's gonna be fun. But you pray for your children's future spouses. Look at God's word, Ephesians 5, 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Church, I need you to see this. Your goal in parenting is that your children will leave. (laughs) They will leave. It's in the Bible, okay? Raise them to leave. Not live in your basement. Eat all your food, no. Not develop an unhealthy codependency, no. You raise them so that they will leave. The the last study I read on this was pre-pandemic, so who knows what it is now that the average age a child stops receiving money from their parents is 33. I got some of y'all's attention, right? Why? Why? Because the world is advocating prolonged adolescence. Because the world wants 14-year-olds to act like 21-year-olds and 30-year-olds to act like 12-year-olds. And your kids pay attention. They see what's happening. So if you're not praying, if you're not having these conversations, if you're not modeling that for them, if you're not praying for their future spouses, if you're not helping them step into adulthood in a healthy way, if you're not encouraging them to take these steps, somebody else will be encouraging them to take steps. It just won't be in the direction that you desire. So we have to be proactive, we have to be intentional, we have to pray these prayers, we have to live with expectancy, and then the celebration for this one is pretty fun. So the celebration for this one is the wedding celebration. The wedding celebration. Don't be the parent who bemoans the fact that one day your kids are gonna leave you and marry somebody else. That's what the world does. That's not what the people of God do. The people of God say, this is the day we've been praying for for their whole life. And we're so grateful that God's been faithful to answer this prayer. See, you're writing your speech all along the way that you get to share at the rehearsal dinner or you get to share at the wedding reception. God's answered your prayer. Look what God did. And this is a wonderful celebration that you get to have when God is faithful to answer those prayers to, again, bring a godly spouse into your life. I've got several friends that they're raising daughters and, and, and I'm raising boys and, and we encourage each other. We encourage you, we text each other, we call each other. And um, I'll say sometimes, like, hey man, it's just good to know there's dads out there raising ladies who are gonna walk with Jesus for a long time. And he'll write me back and say, it's good to know there's men who are raising Boys who are gonna walk with Jesus as a long time. See, so like we're, we're, we're praying for this day where one day God brings that person into life and we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna be the loudest ones to celebrate that. And then finally, number seven, is a prayer of legacy for the children of my child. That you begin to pray, the, pray those prayers even now. You begin to pray those prayers even now. So we pray prayers for our boys' spouses, Sam, Jacob, and Henry. But Morgan and I also pray prayers for our granddaughters in Jesus' name. (laughs) Because we love our boys. 
but we want some granddaughters, okay? We're gonna claim that promise. We pray those prayers, like at dinner. And our boys roll their eyes at us like, can we just eat, right? <laughs> now I'm praying for the granddaughters, right? No. See, God's word is revealed to us through this great story of rescue unveiled in generations. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Look at this, Psalm 78. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he then commanded our ancestors, look at this, to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And then they in turn would tell their children. We're four generations in with these prayers if you're keeping up. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And so the obvious celebration there, I just mentioned it a second ago, is we celebrate the birth of our grandchildren. It comes full circle. And then you get to watch your kids be parents. And you never stop being a parent. It just looks different from one season to the next. And here's the big idea of all seven of these bold prayers put together and why I wanna challenge you so badly to pray them. You see, praying these seven bold prayers allows you to celebrate God's faithfulness when he answers them. Your family can tell the story of God's faithfulness. Church, I'm passionate about this, not just because I'm in the trenches with you if you're a parent raising kids. I'll be passionate about this when I'm 80. Because one of the things we've been called to as the people of God is to always hand down the gospel message to the next generation, to set them up to take the gospel further, faster, to set them up to serve God's purposes in their generation. And I don't have to tell you this, but the kids and the teenagers that you see walking around our church on a Sunday, on a Wednesday night, by the time they're your age, this world will look very different. And I think the best days of the church are still ahead of us. They're still ahead of us. God's not done. I'm one of those weird people who doesn't think God's even come close to pouring out his spirit yet. These revivals that we pray for, they're not just words. They're the cry of our heart. But church, here's the deal. If God is gonna pour out his spirit like we've never seen in 2,000 years of church history, if God's gonna do it again, if we're gonna see great waves of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, what God is going to need are some Hannahs that pray some bold prayers and some Samuels fully dedicated to him. Those of us who are raising kids and raising grandkids right now, May we repent of that mindset and recognize we are raising adults to lead the kingdom forward, to serve God's purposes in their generation. And they're gonna have to be grounded in their faith. We don't have time to play games anymore, church. The time is now. And God's called us to this. So I'm gonna challenge you unapologetically to pray these prayers. And I will tell you unapologetically, this will drive a lot of who we are as a church. We will not be a church that serves adults. We'll be a church that prepares the next generation to step into what God has for them.
And so God, as we come to you now in prayer, we just say thank you. That you're a God who moves in every generation. And you're a God who's not caught off guard, but some, the things sometimes that catch us off guard. That you're a God that's been unveiling your great sovereign plan throughout of all of human history and nothing will stop you. And God, you've got a generation of kids and teenagers on this planet right now that I truly believe with everything in me, you wanna use them to change this world. God, they haven't been raised in a world where everything's gone great. God, they've been raised in a world marred by pandemic, racism, violence, hopelessness. God, they grew up a little quicker than we did when we were their age. And God, instead of bemoaning the fact that that's what's happened, God, we wanna lean into the reality of what is and say, hey God, we wanna be some Hannahs in this generation and pray some bold prayers over these kids and teenagers and say, God, do with them what you will to serve your purposes in their generation. And God, help us to prepare the way for them through our prayers, through our support, through our encouragement. God, for the parents and the grandparents here today that need a little bit of support and encouragement, God, give it to them. And then God, remind us one more time, you've never checked out of the business of changing lives. That's all you've ever done. And God, when we talk to you today, we're talking to the same God who heard Hannah's cry all those years ago. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.